You know something, Jack? I am the Dirty Dog Hogan, the World Wrestling Federation Main Event Status Champion. And tonight, I'm facing Cowboy Bob Orton. You know something, Daddy-O? You may have Rowdy Roddy Piper in your corner, but I got Mr. B to back me up. Tell him, Mr. B. Oh, Orton, you got that fool, Roddy Piper? Well, I pity that fool, and I pity you, Mr. Bob Orton. Yeah. <coughs> what you gonna do, uh, brothers, when the Dirty Dog Mania, Mr. B, in main event status radio, runs wild on you? From the intersection of Sunset Boulevard and Pastry, Minnesota, moved all over main event status radio with your host. Mr. Beverly Hills, I know you want to and the Dirty Dog Dirty. Welcome everybody to Main Event Status Radio. Come on in, make yourself welcome, take your shoes off, don't get them on Dirty Dog's nice carpet. Uh, here we are, Dirty Dog Darcy, as always, accompanied by me, Mr. Beverly Hills. How you doing today, Dirty Dog? I feel wonderful knowing the fact that today is the day that Mr. Beverly Hills and Mrs. <laughs> Beverly Hills finally become Mr. and Mrs. Beverly Hills. And I am so thrilled that we were able to take a little bit of time on your big wedding day on a Saturday night. To talk about Saturday night's all right for fighting tonight on NBC. She's running around in the back. She's yelling at me, wanting me to get back to the wedding ceremony. But here we are talking about Mr. T and Hulkster. What can we say, Jack? Tonight we are covering on the month of first, Jack, the very <laughs> first WWF Saturday Night's Man event on NBC. You got it. You got it. Um, did you ever watch any Saturday Night's Main Events before the relaunch? I know you probably watched those. But. I, I watched, I did watch the first few episodes of the relaunch, but I do not remember anything from the original series, because I think, I think it ended, like, what, 92? Something like that. And yeah, because I would have been probably about four when it end, the first run ended, so I really don't remember much of... The first run, because I'm pretty sure even on a Saturday night, the little dirty dog was in bed way before it came on. It came on the air. See, I I remember them the last couple because my mama, Mama V, let me watch the Saturday night's main events because she knew that I loved wrestling so much. And I remember when, yeah, it must have been one kind of after Ultimate Warrior's title win that he was on one, and I think I saw that one. Okay, so. yeah. Because I know I was, I was very excited when I f- first heard that WWE was going to put up all the episodes of Saturday Night's Man up on the network. And I was excited when you and I were talking about you know what we're going to cover for several episodes. And I'm happy that we decided to do the month of first, especially to talk about this episode tonight. Because it was fun for me to go back to 1985 and relive some 85 WWF. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. This was another one that went past really quickly, in my opinion. So, well, because I I felt like well, the matches on this episode was felt like it was a lot 
shorter. Well, definitely was a lot shorter than sure, the yeah. matches on the Clash of Champions that we reviewed last week. Sure. Yeah, same like yeah, same thing with me. Same thing with you for this episode. I feel like this episode went pretty quick for me, as was the Clash of Champions that we reviewed last week. Sure, uh, that's always a good sign. Which you know, just like the Clash of Champions on the network, our podcast last week went two hours. <laughs> yeah, yes, it did. So uh, before we get into the into the review of the meat and potatoes of the podcast, I know a couple weeks weekends ago I sat down with Eric Rodrigo from CamelClutchBlog.com. Mr. Beverly Hills, have you listened to the interview yet? I'm not. I watched the very. I listened to the very first part, but not the whole thing. Okay, listeners, if you're like Mr. Beverly Hills and you haven't got, <laughs> had a chance to listen to the episode, the Sorry. interview, that's fine. It's only about a 20-minute interview, and we're going to take a quick break, well, I guess a 20-minute break, for we can put in the episode, or put in that interview with this episode. Listeners, stand by. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Main Event Status Radio. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy, joined by one of my buddies from CamelClutchBlog.com, Eric Argillo. How's it going, Eric? Oh, Eric, it's great. Uh, really uh, happy to be here and uh, really happy for all the success that, that you're having here on the podcast. I mean, it's always good to be in the main event, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. So, and uh, who better to be in the main event with me than, on a Saturday night, by the way, than Eric Arjulo? Hey, listen, uh, if we can't get four stars out of this one, then we ought to just hang up the boots. I was going to say, if we don't get four stars, I think we need to go to uh, go talk to Dave Miltz about that then. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I wanted to have you on to talk about uh, the influence of Saturday Night's Mid event. Uh, what's yes. Your, what's your memories of Saturday Night's Mid event? Oh, wow. Uh, memories. Where do I even start? You know, um, I was a, a young Eric Arjulo, uh when Saturday Night's Mid event happened. And, you know, wrestling was so different back then because it was a part of pop culture. You know, it's like today, um, it's probably, you know, a, a somewhat of a part of pop culture today. But, um it's, you know, like you you talk about an iPhone or you talk about um, whatever is trending today. You know, wrestling was a, a part of the conversation. So it was it was everywhere. And, um, you know, Saturday Night's Main Event kind of came out of nowhere um, for me as a wrestling fan. Uh, you know, it's um, it was so cool because, you know, what was different, what was probably the biggest difference, well, one of the biggest differences about the time period back then as opposed to the time period today, it's like – you never got to see, you know, main event matches on TV. You never got to see matches between um, two two stars on TV. I mean, it was always squash matches. Every once in a while, you get um, a match between, you know, two uh, main eventers, two established guys. But usually, it would um, end in an angle, so you wouldn't get a finish. It would be a short match. It would be leading to something else. I mean, to see these matches. You had to go to the house shows. I mean, that was the only place you were going to see Hulk Hogan, Russell Terry Funk, or uh, King Kong Bundy, or, uh, you know, Kamala, or Paula Orndorff. I mean, you just were never going to see that on, on television. And, um, you know, so this whole idea of now you can watch these main event matches without having to, to leave your house and go down to the spectrum was just awesome. And what was what was really cool about it, too, was... Every once in a while, they put on these different kind of matches. Like even I think it was the second Saturday Night's Main event. You had Hogan and uh, Nikolai Volkov. I think it was the second or the third one. 
Um, and the first one, you had Hogan and Bob Orton, you know, in the main event. Um, I mean, those are matches that made sense, but yet you you probably were never going to see it. I mean, just the storylines and the way things were at the time. But yet they would put these these odd matches together, and um, and it was very cool. And I remember, for me, um, being young, I mean, there was no way my parents were going to let me uh, stay up that late to, to watch anything on television, um, you know, uh, in, in that regard. I mean, we didn't have DVRs back then. I mean, uh, I don't even think we had a VCR at that time. So, um, you know, so, so what I did was I just waited until my parents went to sleep. And uh, I'll never forget this. I remember my, my, I waited until my parents went to sleep and just sat in my bed and watched the clock and just watched the clock. And when I got time, for 1130, uh, I put on the TV in my room. I had the volume uh, all the way down and watched. Um, so I watched it with the volume off. And that's what I did for the first couple of them until I got a little older and I was able to stay up uh, a little later. But um, it was it was very cool. Like I said, just the whole idea of being able to see these big matches or even – they weren't even big matches. Even just matches like a Tito Santana against uh, – you know, a Greg Valentine. I don't think they ever wrestled in Saturday Night's main event, but even something like that, or like the Bulldogs against uh, the Dream Team. Um, you know, I mean, you, you, you weren't going to see them anywhere but the house shows, and now you could see them somewhere else uh, on TV for free. So it was it was a whole new dynamic. Uh, you talked about Hogan and his popularity. Do you feel like Hogan's popularity helped out Saturday Night's main event? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, if if Hogan wasn't, if Hogan didn't have that popularity, uh, there would not be a Saturday Night's Main Event. I mean, what you have to um, think about is they were putting on Saturday Night's Main Event in place of Saturday Night Live, and I think I'm, I'm a big SNL fan too, and I think '85 was not one of the stronger years for SNL. So, it, you know, we're not like what we're talking about SNL in the '70s or or uh, you know a different time period, but you know, it's still a big deal. And I mean, without Hogan. It's funny. I recently did a blog on the Camel Clutch, and the blog was 10 guys who could have been WWE champion had Hogan not been available. And, you know, the premise all along that I put in that blog was, you know, the whole idea was, say, Vern Gagne wound up keeping Hogan. He wound up, he wound up keeping him, or Hogan just stayed full-time, or wound up going full-time and staying in Japan, and Vince didn't have him, but Vince needed a champion. Who is he going to go with? And I came up with 10 different guys, and I'd say probably the one that would have done done best um, as, as far as helping WWE break through to a point probably would have been Dusty Rhodes. But even at that point, I don't think Dusty would have been able to do to – do, I, I mean, I know for a fact Dusty wouldn't have been able to do what Hogan, Hogan did. Um, so, yeah, so I mean without Hogan, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident they would not have had a WrestleMania one at that level. Um, and they they probably would not have a Saturday Night's main event. Do you think Roddy Piper would have been a suitable replacement if Dusty or Hogan weren't around for it? No, I don't. Um, I think that Piper was the the the, the best heel that you could get um, in the time period. That he was the best foil for the the top babyface. I think Piper was awesome. I think that without Piper and Hogan, I, I think I think Hogan without Piper would have struggled a little bit because, you know, I mean, he had, there were a lot of heels there at the time, but nobody, I don't know, had it like Piper did. And I'm a guy that grew up watching that, that, that period. So, you know, I, I romanticize it a little more than, 
than somebody else. But I mean, I love the magnificent Morocco. I mean, he's one of my favorite um, guys to watch of all time. And he was a top heel at the time. Um, and he probably, by de facto, would have been, I guess, the top heel. Um, and, well, I guess Orndorff probably would have would have been the guy. But even Orndorff, and, and Orndorff was great, and I loved Orndorff, and I think he's one of the one of the more underrated heels. But I think even Orndorff, you know, wouldn't have had it that it that Piper had um, to to you know to to work you know to work off of Hogan together. So I think Piper was was crucial. I think it was very important. But I think Piper coming in as a babyface. I don't think he would have had that same kind of appeal that Hogan did. I mean, he didn't have a look, an appealing look that Hogan had. He didn't have the same kind of babyface charisma at the time. I just think it would have been different. No, kind of talk. You know, I'll kind of switch the gears a little bit. Uh, I don't. Th- well, it's like I watched uh, the first Saturday Night's Main Event probably a week or so ago, and Cindy Lofter was also it like she was headlined, main evented in being part of WrestleMania One and first part of Saturday Night's Main Event. Do mm. you feel like Cindy Lauder helped wrestling out during that time frame? Oh, huge. Huge. Absolutely huge. Um, you know, it was um, it was the link. It was the link that, that the WWE didn't have between popular culture and, uh, you know, and, and the WWF. And again, you know, going back to that time period, Cindy Lauper was a huge deal. I mean, I don't know who to compare her to today. I'm not a big fan of pop music, so I don't really know who's popular or, or who's not. Um, but, you know, it, it would be just like one of the popular artists today getting involved in wrestling for the first time. Now, if, if a popular if a popular um, pop music singer got involved today, it wouldn't be a, that big of a deal because people are used to it. But people weren't used to this back then. And Cyndi Lauper had a whole different fan base. You know what I mean? She had little girls – um, you know, and then in turn, the little girls had their moms and then families. So, I mean, she was such a, a, a critical bridge to, um, you know, to, to both of them, uh, you know, to, to both the WWE. And um, I mean, it was a whole different fan base right there. I mean, think about it. You know, you had the spotlight were on the women on Wendy Richter and everything. And they talk about that right today with UFC how Ronda Rousey is such a big star because she brings in women and girls and housewives, you know, the, the, the fan base that would not be watching today if it were not for her. And that was the fan base that Cindy Lauper brought in. And those people weren't watching wrestling without Cindy Lauper before she was there. Maybe they watched it after, but she was a, a huge part of it. I know one thing I kind of wanted to ask you about since, you know, you would know better than I that, yeah, with the, at least with the first Saturday Night's Main Event, the main event match with Hogan was second on the card. Do you know what, what are the reasons why they had Hogan or the main event match perched middle of the card instead of in the actual main event spot? Um, I'm going to guess, and this is just a, a total guess here, I'm going to guess because they wanted a strong rating for that quarter hour or that half hour between 11.30 or that 11.45 to midnight. Um I'm also going to guess that there was an overrun there. So I'm going to guess that Hogan's match was on between on the on you know the quarter hour leading into it somewhere in that quarter hour and then somewhere somewhere in the last quarter hour and then somewhere in the first quarter hour. So kind of like what they do now on Raw, you know, where they have the overruns, um, you know, come through. I'm going to guess Hogan was there so you can get the ratings bump from you know 11:45 to 12 and and 12 to 12:15. That's that's my my guess on it because I remember there was one where 
um, Hogan and Andre teamed up, and I think they opened the show. I think it was Hogan and Andre against Bundy and Stud from the Meadowlands, and I think they opened up the Saturday Night's Main Event. Again, I'm just going off the top of my head, but I kind of remember them opening it up. And I think it was more important to get ratings in that 11.30 half hour there than it was um, you know, uh, in, in later on in the show. Because putting on Hogan, you know, if you put Hogan on um, late, late on the show, you're putting him on at 12.15, um, and not a lot of people are going to stick around at 12.15 to see him. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, you know, talk about Hogan and talk about Andre. I feel like if you look back at the Saturday Night's Main Event, history there's one match to me that stands out it was a hogan versus andre match i think it was on a friday night for the wwe title with the evil twin uh mm-hmm. spot how big was that back i think that was in 87 how big or 88 how big 88. was that in 88 yeah no i actually have a blog um up on the site reviewing that specific show i mean it was huge it's the um it's the most watched wrestling match uh, in the history of uh, North America, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that's 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 what it tells you. And you know, there's a lot more people on the planet now than there were in 1988. But yet, the WWE has never been able to come remotely close to um, grabbing those numbers. So, I mean, to tell you how how big it was, I mean, everybody was watching. I think it was something like 30% of of the homes. Um, I'm going to look it up right now because I'm sitting in front of my computer. Uh, But um, I I know there uh, was a a record here. I thought thought the rating was like 11.4 or something outrageous like that. The live broadcast remains the most watched wrestling program in American television history uh, with 33 million viewers. Think about it today. I mean, you know, for the WWE Network, they got like 750,000, okay? For the largest WrestleMania, I believe their buy rate was 1.5 million. This show had 33 million people watching it. I mean, that's just enormous when you when you um, put it in that context. What was it about Hogan and Andre back in 88 that made that many people want to tune in to watch the rematch from WrestleMania 3? Well... You know, the, the, the match at WrestleMania three was legendary. Um, I, you know, I mean, it really was it really was and still is the biggest match of my lifetime as a wrestling fan. Um, it was something that, again, transcended into popular culture. You know, I mean, even people that weren't wrestling fans knew about Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. The other thing, too, that um, should be noted is that this was in prime time, if, if, uh, you know, if I'm right. I believe this aired um, at 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock. It was either from 8 to 9 or 10 to 11. So, you know, that's a whole different audience right there as well. Um, and you also had a stacked show, too. You had Randy Savage on the show against the Honky Tonk Man. Um, so, you know, I mean, you, you, you had, um, there was a, a, you know, there there was, there was some major star power on the show, but, you know, I mean, for me to tell you exactly what it was that, um, drew them up, well, you know, you also had Ted DiBiase, who was now, um, red hot as a heel. He was now interjected into this feud where DiBiase wasn't even a part of it, um, at WrestleMania three. So that's a whole new dynamic as well. And, uh, I know you kind of mentioned it before, but how can... WWE now do now, especially with the WWE Network, how can they recapture their popularity that they had, for instance, back in February of 88 when Hogan and, Hogan and uh, Andre had the rematch? Uh, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Um, you know, I mean, even even when Stone Cold Steve Austin 
was um what was at his height even when the rock was at his height you know um two different periods they still were never to able to uh get 33 million people to tune in to watch um i don't think it's gonna happen i think the i think the product's too watered down here's the other thing too you know i take into consideration again at, at this time the only way you could see these big time matches was to go to the house shows sure they had pay-per-view in 1988 but it was uh, two, three times a year. I think it was Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, uh, four times a year. Survivor Series, SummerSlam. You know, it was it was four times a year, um, and you had to pay to see that. Um, you know, and you had uh, two hours of television. You know, a week you had Wrestling Challenge and uh, uh, Wrestling All Star Wrestling or, or Wrestling WWE Superstars. You know, I think I think they uh, went to Superstars by this time. So you know, you had two hours of television, all squash matches. You only had four pay per views a year. Which you have to pay for, um, and you have to go to the house to see it. And the other thing too is they never did a Hogan Andre series at the house shows um, after WrestleMania. You know they did tag matches. They did um, Hogan and Bigelow against uh, DiBiase and Andre. I mean they, they, that that came here to Philly. Um, they did the match at SummerSlam with Savage and Hogan against DiBiase and and Andre. But they never did Hogan and Andre singles, so you kept that match off for you know almost a year. So I mean, you know, for them to do that today, you'd have to have two you know huge stars. You'd have to keep them apart, which they can't keep people apart for more than a week anymore. And you'd have to have less television, and you'd have to turn the the shows back into all squash matches because by the time these guys clashed, you want it to be special. You want it to be something different, something you haven't seen. Whereas today, you know. I mean, how many times have we seen, uh, you know, uh, Orton and, and Cena, you know, and, and the, those kind of matches? So, uh, I mean, we've already seen Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose several times. We've already seen Dean Ambrose and Randy Orton on, on TV. Um, so I think Ambrose and Rollins was on free TV, too. So, yeah, you know, it's it's just I don't think it's ever going to happen. Not not in this lifetime. So you feel like the today's product is overexposed compared to back in 85, 88? You know, overexposed is... Overexposed is a tricky word because. Or let, I, me, let me re. I guess let me reword that. I guess I say you, oversaturated. Yeah, oversaturated. Yeah. Yeah, I would say oversaturated because because the product was probably more exposed back in '88 than it is now. I would certainly say it's oversaturated today. Um, you know, it's a different it's a different business. You know, WWE they're in the business now of satisfying shareholders, and when shareholders can can you know we, we, you can't tell shareholders that you're not going to take another extra two hours of TV a week and give them higher dividends. I mean, you just, you just can't do that. Um, and you can't do it often. So it's a different environment. It's totally overexposed today. I, I absolutely think so. And it's watered down. Um, it's overexposed and watered down. Okay. Well, we might as well wrap it up for the week. Uh, Eric, do you have any, anything to plug for the episode? Oh, sure. Um, well, you can always catch my musings um, and Eric as well from time to time over at camelclutchblog.com. It's camelclutchblog.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at camelclutchblog and also check out my old uh, podcast and archived interviews uh, over at prowrestlingradio.com. Uh, listeners, we'll be right back. Stand by. And we're back. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Beverly. I hope you enjoyed the interview too. Yep, I got to listen to the first for the first time. You did a great job. Those are some awesome questions that you asked. <laughs> All I have to say, Beverly, is I love editing. 
<laughs> the magic, the magic of editing. Yeah, so I don't, I, I know I'm getting a little bit hot. I'm getting a tad bit sweaty wearing this tuxedo for being a ursher for your wedding, Jack. You did a great job. You handed out those programs. You seeded all the blue hairs. You got at least four to five numbers. Especially all the old ladies that I love and dig, Jack. Oh, yeah. So we, might, so we might as well go back to this Saturday night from May 11th, 1985, from Uniondale, New York, from the Nassau, Nassau, Nassau. Veterans Memorial Center. Yep, Nassau Coliseum. And I had to do, I did a little bit of research for this episode. Okay. This episode wasn't live when it aired. Right, but I don't think any of them were. This, but but this was close to the air date, though. This was taped yep. on Friday night, the night before. Oh, okay. So I guess you can say this was Friday night's main event. I was surprised it was so close. I was looking at the date, the tape dates of the rest of them, and they were farther off, probably about a week. Okay, yeah, so yeah, when, I, when I thought, well, yeah, because obviously, you know, it's well known on the show that I, you know, go walk, we'll go up on Wikipedia to make sure I have everybody's names correct and <laughs> and all that. And yeah, when I saw that it was only the night before, I'm like, oh, oh that's pretty close. That's pretty good for them. Yeah. So do you want to talk about the show, the two promos that open up the show tonight? Okay, so the first one um, is Cindy Lauper and Wendy Richter. Uh, Cindy Lauper was a huge star in '85. Um, so this is a this is a big rub that she was with Wendy Richter here, and uh, Cindy Lauper wants to make sure that Wendy Richter's trunk is strong, and they're going to leave the fabulous Moolah beaten, battered, and destroyed. Then we go to Mister D and the yep. WWF champion brother. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. Then Hogan just tells us that he'll defend the title against. Cowboy tonight. Right, and then he's not going to be alone because he knows that Cowboy's coming with Roddy Piper, so he's not going to be alone. And Mr. T uh, is going to account for that foo Roddy Piper and that he pities that foo. Then we, then we go into the video package for Saturday Night's Men event. I yeah. want to ask you, Mr. Hills. Yep. Do you think this was an actual theme song for the show when they aired it? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Didn't they play Obsession by An Emotion? I think so. Cause I remember. That's what I thought. Yeah, because that's what I thought. Because I remember when Jesse Ventura was a guest host on Raw a few years back. That you know, that one thing that Jesse wanted to do was for the main event match, call the action with Vince McMahon. And when Vince came out in the bow tie and all that, he came out to Obsession, which I looked back. Oh, then, okay. Which I looked back. That was. That was the Saturday Night's Main Event theme song, so I kind of assumed that they pulled that out and put in the generic theme song because they didn't want to pay more fees or whatever to use the original music that they used. Right, they yeah, they dubbed this one. There was some other dubbing in this, and some good, some not so good. Yeah, I, was, I, I did mention that for two of the matches, which, well, first, you know, especially for the first match, which I'll bring up, I'm, I know you'll bring up your notes too, then we go to the color commentators for the night. Welcome, everybody, to Saturday Night's Main Event. <laughs> I, guess, I guess he wasn't that outrageous, but yeah, it's Vince McMahon. Welcomes us to Saturday Night's Main Event. And who is his color commentator broadcast partner tonight, Beverly? 
He's got the body. He's got Jesse the Body Ventura in a lovely pink ensemble with a pink feather in his ear as well. You don't know how excited I was to hear <laughs> Jesse Ventura for the hour. <laughs> it was good stuff. After some of the announcers that we've had to endure in this in these last ten episodes, this is top notch work. Because I do. Listen to Jesse Ventura's podcast. Oh my gosh. We're and three minutes in, you're already talking about podcasts, dirty dog. What can you say, Jack? <laughs> All I say is, you know, Jesse Ventura's podcast is based on conspiracies that you guys don't know. Jesse Ventura on conspiracies? No way. Way. <laughs> so it was nice to hear Jesse Ventura call wrestling for an hour compared to talking about conspiracies for an hour. Sure. So that's why I just wanted to mention that. It was nice to hear Jesse be Jesse instead of Jesse be the conspiracy Jesse. All right. Sounds good. Just saying. <laughs> then, uh, yeah, I didn't note down that one thing I do appreciate was, like, the, you know, with these older shows that we covered, the announcers go over what we'll see later in the night. Right. So we may also well go into the opening match of the night. Okay. Six-man tag. The World Tag Team Champions, Cheeky Baby and Nikolai <laughs> Volkov, Volkov, whatever, yep. with George Nikolai Animal, Animal Steel with Classy Freddy Blassie. Yeah. Versus. <laughs> they call him Classy Fred Blassie, which I think is always funny <laughs> when they use things that we don't, like, know especially. But, yeah. yeah. Versus the U.S. Express uh, with uh, the featuring... Mike Rotunda, classic guy well, from mid event. He's Mike Ro- He's Mike Rotundo here, which I've always found super weird. Sometimes he's Mike Rotunda, sometimes he's Mike Rotundo, and in WWF he's Mike Rotundo, okay, which well, is weird. Yeah, well for the well for my notes I put Rotunda. Okay, you got it. With Barry Windham. <laughs> yeah. With Ricky Steamboat and Captain Lou. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, Beverly Hills. Yes. About the theme song that U.S. Express used. I wanted to vomit. It was the worst thing I've ever heard. I don't even know. I can't. I've successfully wiped it from my memory, but it is one of the worst songs I've ever heard. Do you want want to hear a conspiracy, Jack? Okay. Well, I know what the real one was, but... Tell us what the real one is. Well, the real one's born in the USA. That's where they came out to... You sure? Until, un, yeah, until Real American was written for them. But the, they would have came out to Born in the USA at this time. Okay, when when did Real American come out? Uh, around the time of, like, WrestleMania 2 or 3. Okay, because like, yeah. I, I thought Hogan came out or, or was... Given that theme song right on WrestleMania 3 4 ish. Yeah, yeah. The, at this time, and definitely at WrestleMania 1, which was just like a month or two prior, they came out to, um, to Born in the USA. So I did note with Hogan's match when he came out that, you know, they overdubbed Real American. I'm like, okay, things don't even seem like they're lining up to Real American. Yeah. To what, he- to what I'm used to. Yeah, and he would have come out to... I think Eye of the Tiger? Eye of the Tiger at this time, yeah. Eye of the Tiger, la dee dee Right. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh... Oh, yeah, when Shiki Baby and them came out, we go to an interview with the good guys. 
Yeah, and Captain Lewis says that he's going to cream Classy Freddy Blassie if he sticks his nose into our business. I am so sad, Beverly Hills. I did not put a rubber band in my face for your wedding. <laughs> I mean, there's still time. I, they, we haven't even played the electric slide yet. We haven't, we haven't even gotten that good stuff out. We're, we're just in that... We're in that time between dinner and dancing. You're still good to go, man. So I guess I, I think I did grab a few rubber bands uh, from, from the ceremony to the reception. <laughs> so I think I might, you know, I wanted to wait till the pictures are taken, Jack. So I think I might need to run to the bathroom after this to put some rubber bands in my face like like Captain Lou. <laughs> I'm with you, man. Go ahead. Captain Lou, Captain oh. Lou, Albano. Oh, I was going to sing that song, too. Captain Lou, Captain Lou, Albano. Maybe, just maybe at the end of the show, I might end this podcast with the ending of that great song. I'd be really happy with that. Four, three, two, one, sound off. Okay, then we might as well uh, go back to the match. Uh, <laughs> okay, Nikolai Volkov wanted us to rise for the singing of the national Russian national anthem. Yeah, and I always thought they interrupted it, but it sure seemed like he sang the whole thing. But yeah, then the good guys came out to some rock music about the USA. Oh, the worst. Just the worst song that I've ever heard. I said it's like some Nickelback shit or something. It's gross. Okay, now said. Sheiky Baby and Wyndham start out the match. Uh-huh. Jeez. Sheiky Baby looked jack. Jack. Yeah. And not like, um... You know, like later, he, he's he always looks like huge, like he's obviously on roids, but here he's super cut. You know, a lot more like he would always kind of have that big gut, like that muscle gut yeah. thing that was obviously very strange. But he has nothing there. He has a six pack that's not on top of a gut. He's got, he's yeah, he's really ripped and really jacked. So I don't know. Because I didn't know down. I wonder how many people he took the old country way to get a body like that. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> That's enough, <laughs> enough said. I didn't know down that the good guys did a lot of quick tags, keeping each other fresh while working on Cheeky Baby. Yeah, they. And this match was like all. All the good guys. Um. Barry, you know, he started off, he shoulder-blocked him, he did a hip toss, uh, did a couple slams, <coughs> Rotundo came flying in uh, with a crossbody, and then Ricky did onto Sheik's arm, and I made a note that the ring is really mic'd up, it's really loud. Yeah, because I did not also note that when uh, the good guys were keeping each other fresh with the quick takes, Ventura yeah. even put that over, and I, that's one thing I enjoyed about Jesse Ventura on the color commentating table. Well, that's always what I've liked about Jesse is that he's, you know, he's a heel, but he's always kind of down the middle, and he'll give credit where credit's due a lot of the time. Which, which I wish call, uh, the commentators would do a lot more nowadays. It's like now, well, now they're all baby faces except Cole is just like a jerk. I don't know. <laughs> I guess he, JBL's kind of a heel. I guess. Yeah, I was too, saying, J- JBL's a JBL is JBL. You know, he'll. He, I guess he isn't like a full-fledged heel like Ventura, but he, he'll he be a heel when he feels like he needs to be a heel. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really dig him on commentary, but whatever. I I, I enjoyed Ventura. Uh, not Ventura. I enjoyed very... Uh, I, I, I'm excited. I enjoyed JBL a lot when his first run was color commentating on SmackDown. Sure. 
I mean, we're all excited. We're at the wedding. Yes. It's all right. It's okay. Okay, see you, Jack. I'm all pumped up. Pump it up. Pump it up. Okay, go ahead. And, uh, yeah, she, I did write down that Shiki Baby was able to put on uh, Ab Stretch and Steamboat. Yeah, Steamboat was yeah. able to hip toss out all the way out of the ring. Yeah, any any control that the heels take is quickly erased by the, the faces, which is an interesting... Um, Interesting dynamic, especially after last week, where we had those really, really long heel control segments in basically every match. It's uh, an interesting dynamic to go to one where the the heel controls are like 10 seconds long. <laughs> I am also sad we didn't get 10 cues like we did in the main event from last week. <laughs> those are always... Well, then they would have... Revealed the fact that none of these matches like went farther than five minutes. That is true. That is true. If they did, it's not much longer than five minutes. I, I think the only one that did was um, this one, actually. That's funny. And yeah. I think it's like six thirty, so it's not even that long after that. Yeah. Then, uh, then yeah, Steamboat hit a beautiful missile drop kick. Yeah, I like that one too. Let's see, Shiki was able to take uh, tag in Volkov, and those two we were able to team up. But they didn't get, they didn't gain any kind of advantage. Right, right. They showed George Steele on the outside, and he was so freaking sweaty, and he hadn't even gotten in the ring yet. Especially, but he was just covered in sweat. Especially with how hairy he is. That, I'm sure that was gross <laughs> to grapple with him. Oh, yuck, yuck. Uh, I guess we might as well talk about uh, the animal then. then yeah, he, I felt like he was acting really, really goofy during this during this match. Well, watch more of 1980s WWF. Why don't cartoonish? I guess it was cartoonish, but I, well, I guess I'm so used to seeing George Steele as a face, so seeing him mm. as a heel and acting goofier seemed kind of different. Sure. No, I'm with you. It makes more sense. It's well, it's more digestible when he's uh, when he's a good guy. I'm oh. with. I told. I totally get what you're saying. You can usually handle that more. When it's supposed to be someone that you cheer for. Yeah. Yeah, then uh, when Steele was uh, the legal guy, the take champs left him. Yep. To, to, uh, to oh, all no. by himself, then Wyndham uh, rolled him up for the pinfall victory. Right, as yeah, as he was arguing with the, his partners, yep. So the winners are the U.S. Express and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Mm-hmm. And Captain Lou Ben on his rubber bands. Yes, Lewis, as Vince kept calling him, which I love. I rated this match... One star, Beverly. Um, I'm close to you. Star and a half for me. Because yeah, I thought this is well, like we said that this is very one-sided. Mm-hmm. But I was entertained by how everybody acted in the ring, and I know the crowd was very into the match. Yep. Yeah, which, I agree. Which helped. Which I was going to rate this match a little lower, but because of how the crowd was really into this match and how how the guys were and especially the especially the announcers, I had I couldn't go any lower than one star. Sure, I, I understand that. And um yeah, again like like however many weeks on the first. Yeah, the last two. Um I like to look at the first match because it it really shows kind of what kind of product uh the the company's trying to put out. So I thought this was another good, good look, a good choice for the um, the first match, another high energy one, and I think that uh, 
that makes sense why or it sorry it would then make sense why the the good guys have such an advantage you really want to uh put those guys you know over strong to begin with and give them that that upside definitely then now we might mo- we might as well talk about what happened after the match that uh I yep. feel like feel like this was uh, obviously the the face turn of George the Animal Steel. You know, right. after the match, he started to rip apart the uh, top turnbuckles by eating them. Uh-huh. And his take partners came in and double teamed him, <laughs> and Steel ran them off. And then Captain Luke came in and calmed down Steel. And the announcers put over that Captain Lou was his former manager. Yes, I wrote that Albano yeah. <laughs> comes in to sue the Savage Beast. Yes. Yeah, and then Albano, he was holding something in his hand. This is so random. I don't, I don't even care. He was holding something in his hand. It looked like he was holding a razor. I'm like, is he gonna shave? Oh <laughs> no, no, right now. <laughs> Ca- uh, not Captain Lou. Well, I guess Captain Lou could could use a shave too. But yeah, George the Animal still definitely need to shave his back and his yeah. body hair. I'd agree. I'd agree. Then, so uh, we- so then we go to me and Gene with the the heels who had fled there. Uh, Blassie calls Animal a fruitcake. <laughs> <laughs> and then as he's doing that, the, the other ones come on, they start fighting. And, <laughs> and they're able to kind of like separate. And then Volkov comes back and he calls Animal a fruitcake. <laughs> that mi- I miss interviews like this on modern pro wrestling. That crazy fruitcake. <laughs> then we go down to ringside for Piper's Pit. Piper's Pit in the ring, yep. With Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff as his guest. Yep. And Piper wanted to talk to Mr. Wonderful about WrestleMania 1. Right, uh-huh. And how Piper called Mr. Wonderful a loser. Since yeah, it was, was they since, got pinned during the match. Yeah, it was Mr. Wonderful that got pinned. Then uh, Wonderful called him out about where where was Piper in the match, and especially after the match, and Piper ran off. Yeah. Then another brawl broke down. Oh wait, wait, wait. Okay, I'm sorry. We got to talk about the main part of this interview. Tell us about the main well, part of this interview. Who's gonna sit down? So much of this interview was Pyre being like, sit down, sit down. And then Orndorff going, no, you sit down. I'll sit down when you sit down. And everything is about who's sitting down. It's just, it's crazy. And Orndorff's like, tell tell Orndorff to go sit in the corner. And I'll sit down when you sit down. It's just, I'm like, ah, stop talking about who's going to sit down. Beverly, all I'll ask is, I'll sit down. After the dance, when you sit down. I'll sit down when you sit down. Only, only if Mrs. Hills goes sit down in the corner. <laughs> You've been drinking too much of your own bath water. Whatever. <laughs> Give me five seconds. I'm at half breath. <laughs> baloney, baloney. These are all things that they said to each other, by the way. Well, not the five, not the five seconds part. Yes, but the baloney, baloney, and the bath water comment. Yes. Piper also, I really like Piper when he when he sits down, as they were arguing about, he's like, are you a happy person now? <laughs> Which I thought was funny. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah then, then a brawl broke down. Right. Then Mr. Wonderful was going to go for a pile driver, but didn't drop him. Then Cowboy Bob Orr attacked him. 
Yes. Then Hits you, him with the cast. Then do you want to tell us who saved Mr. Wonderful? Mr. T. It, I, to me, it only makes sense <laughs> that somebody with the same first name comes out and saves Mr. Wonderful. Oh my gosh, they should have formed a tag team called Mr. Mister. <laughs> the team of the misters. I, I just think Mr. Mister. And they could have came out to take these broken wings. <laughs> that would be a marvelous tag team, Jack. <laughs> but I guess that tag team was getting Jack, Jack. <laughs> no, they weren't getting Jack, Jack, because they never were formed. Well, that's Jack, Jack. <laughs> I agree. Then Gene was with Hogan right after, or right by the fans. And Hogan said that that wasn't a surprise what Piper did to Mr. Wonderful. Right. Then Hogan said that, that Mother's Day is coming up, Jack, and he's dedicating his match to his mother, Jack. Okay. Yeah. Then, mother, this Mother's Day thing is a little weird. What's your thoughts on Hogan's promo, Daddy-O? Um, I mean, it's not bad. I mean, he was obviously the star of the show. He's all over the place. I do like that he called the, he's like, I'm facing Cowboy Bob Orton, the dude with the busted up arm. Yeah, I know. I talked to uh, Eric Rodrigo about this in an interview that I dropped in with this episode, and I want to talk to you about this. Okay. What's your thoughts on the main event match being generally the second match of the night? Um... You know, that's just a structure choice. I'm okay with it because um, it creates, I don't know, I think it creates that illusion like, well, we're giving this match, you know, 30 minutes or whatever uh, if it if it goes that long. And I don't know. It, it also, there on the, on the negative though, most people always are going to... Um, tune in toward the later part of the hour. So that's kind of your trick. If you know, you don't always want to put JYD versus the Duke of Dorchester and then the mother's day segment when most people are watching, that's the, that's the only tricky part. Yeah. Cause I know, uh, with the interview with Eric that obviously, you know, with this episode, yeah. Eric did mention that, you know, this would, this would have aired, I think, well, on the East coast right around midnight. And all that, so you know, for here in Minnesota, it would have been about eleven o'clock. And if I remember correctly, too, usually, usually, like, well, it's usually uh, Saturday night. Saturday night live is usually an hour and a half. And usually after the first half hour, right, you know, I think it's like ten thirty to midnight here in cent, you know, Central. So like, well, that'd be eleven thirty to eleven thirty to one over on the East Coast, right around the midnight hour. That's usually when the the peak hits for the ratings for SNL. Okay. So, so if I remember correctly, that's usually you know same thing with with first show on Saturday Saturday night's main event. Okay. So I think that's usually why they put they structured the cut the way they did was you know just because you know to follow the ratings pattern of of SNL. Okay. Well, you know that's what uh, Eric and I kind of talked about you know in the with the interview. So yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And just because this is the main event of the night, Jack, I have to open up. My World mm-hmm. Wrestling Federation main event status world heavyweight drink. Get it. <laughs> My can of Mel Yo that I want to drink to get hyped up for this for this match and for the dance after. <laughs> and to <laughs> foreshadow Beverly Hills that we will see later on the night. 
I ho- I am planning on putting somebody through the wedding cake. Oh no! Oh no! Oh gosh! Well, I'm afraid. I'm just saying, Jack. <laughs> I don't know. You've been you've been chatting wrestling with some of my friends all day, and it might be one of those guys, one of those heel fanatics that you're gonna put through the through the table. I guess we just gotta wait and see what happens, right, Jack? Yep. And all I have to say is that is the game plan. That's the game plan. You got it, man. So yeah, one of the first things I wrote down about this match, which is for the World Wrestling Federation World Heavyweight Championship, Cowboy Bob Orton, the challenger with Rowdy Roddy Piper against the champion Hulk Hogan with Mr. T. Yep. One of the first notes I wrote down was I doubt Real American was Hulk Hogan's theme song during this time. Correct. Because how the fans, the entrance, everything didn't seem to to tie in with the theme song. Yep. Yeah, again, it was another one of those dumb, uh, one of those dubs. Then I did write down that Mr. T came out during the commercial break. Oh, did he? Okay, I guess yeah, I did. Yeah, well, because at least I did not notice him coming out with Hogan when Hogan came out and, you know, how they went to a commercial right when Hogan came out, then you know, when they came back, you know, the guys were in the ring, and I noticed Mr. T was in Hogan's corner. Okay. <gasps> Sorry. That's, that's fine, Beverly. <laughs> yeah, the match starts starts by Orton trying to sneak attack Hogan with no luck. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hogan's not playing that. I did laugh that Hogan punched him in the face a few times and stepped him outside the ring. <laughs> yeah, threw him right out, right out of the... Right out of the ring. Then Hogan followed him, and they went back to the ring. Hogan still had the advantage. Orton ran outside to gain distance from him and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he stamped it, stamped his arm on the rope over the ring post, and then uh, yeah, Orton took over with the nice flying knee. I want to rewind. Did you think it was weird that Hulk and Mr. T ripped each other's shirts off? Yes, I did find okay. that kind of awkward. Thank you, I did as well. I will not <laughs> rip off. Your tuxedo shirt, Beverly. Oh, gosh, thank you. I really appreciate that. That is too far, homie. (laughs) I I really do appreciate that, man. Granted, you and I host this wonderful, marvelous podcast, and we are (laughs) best friends and all, but there has to be a line drawn somewhere. (laughs) Yes. And that line is ripping your shirts off. Yes. And I, I did also note, note, too, when the time when Hogan was working on Orton's cast that he bit Orton's forehead. Yes, he was. He was biting him all over the place. Then Ventura called him out about it, and McMahon backed up Hogan on biting the forehead. <laughs> McMahon's that, always got Hogstead back. That made me laugh that Ventura, you know, was call, you know, calling it right down the middle, like what calling out Hogan for his heel antics. Oh and yeah, it, well you know McMahon would get after a face or after a heel if he was biting somebody's head. Yeah, so that made me that made me laugh. Yeah. I see that yeah, like you said, the, the Hogan dropped the arm on the top rope and bashed it against the ring post. Yeah, then Orton gained the advantage, so he might as well go he might as well let you continue on with this match. Okay. Um, so after, so Orton, Orton took control there after that flying knee, uh, he's punched him, he punches him, elbows him, kicks him, 
huge Hogan chance taking over there. And then after a couple minutes, you know what happens. Before Hulk okay. started to Hulk up, okay. I got one line from Ventura, one line from McMahon that I wanted to talk about. All right, put him in, put him in. That uh, this is right on the. I think Ventura said this right on the time Orton hit the yeah, atomic uh, atomic drop. Ventura said he should show him no mercy. This is for the heavyweight championship of the gold or of the world. So let me re-say this because I, I screwed it up. He should show him no mercy. This is for the heavyweight championship of the world. I can't disagree. I was say, I agree with Ventura. Yes, the challenger should show no mercy when it is for the heavyweight title of the world. Yeah, and I, I guess I kind of like that because, you know, like, at this time, not everybody's going to get a title shot. It's it's going to be few and far between. Uh, just, you know, that's how it works. So I do like that idea that you should just, you know, throw caution to the wind, just go for it, um, you know, when you can here. You know, we mentioned this on previous podcasts, you know, comparing Hulk Hogan as a WWF World Heavyweight Champion to Brock Lesnar being the WWE World Heavyweight Champion and how both guys very rarely defend the title. And mm-hmm. I feel like the no- I wish the announcers nowadays would do the same thing like what Ventura did back then and say, yeah, the challengers should do what, you know, should show no mercy when the world title is up on the line. Since sure. it's not, now it's even rarer. That the title is up on the line and how I guess we talked about this before, but it kind of bothers me that people are freaking out that Lesnar isn't defending the title every month. Yeah, I th- I don't know. I'm okay with it. I to be honest, I really think you know one of the things that's really plaguing WWE right now. You know, as whatever I watch and then as I follow it is just the the preponderance of how often the same folks have matches and um if you can space that out i think that's a great thing and i think that's something that they need to do more of because man they just they have so many matches against each other when you talk i was i was reading one of those wrestlenomics reports online and the usos and and uh the wyatt family and then the usos and the the Dust Brothers have faced each other each like 10, 15 times this year. That's ridiculous. They should not face each other that much, you know? Yeah, because like you mentioned, you know, mentioned you know, with the reports you read, you know, I mentioned I listened to the Wrestling Observer podcast and Brian Alvarez has been freaking out tons about how many times the, you know, the Dust Brothers, the Dusty Boys and the Y, not the Y, it's the Usos are facing each other like you know each time they face each other or even if it's a one-on-one match he's like we saw this match for like the hundredth time already how many more times do we need to see this yeah uh-huh so yeah you know, like, i guess we might as well get... face each other two three times a week yeah so yeah but, and we might as well get back to the match the other line i wrote down for mcmahon was which made me think about macho man Okay. He's, he's doing the thing. Oh, doing the thing. Do the thing in the ring. In, in response to Orton having the advantage of keeping up on Hogan. Ah, all right. That do, it, me, say, do it, do it. That, that, yes, that made me laugh. <laughs> and, yeah, then we might as well go back to what you were saying, that Hogan started to hulk up and started to punch Orton. Okay, yep. Yeah, he sent him to the ropes, gave him a lariat, and dropped the elbow, and all he got a, a two. I know. I was surprised. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hulk up leads to the big boot, which leads to the leg drop. One, two, three. What's happening right yeah. now? Yeah, Orton it's, nice had, to see him, it's nice to see him go against formula a little bit. 
Yeah. yeah. Orton had the advantage for a while to set up Hogan for super blocks. Mm-hmm. Hogan punches his way out, sending, sending Orton to the mat. Hogan jumped off the second rope with an elbow. Yeah. Which surprised me. Is I cannot remember the many times Hogan jumped off any rope to do anything. No, right on. I agree. That was, that was surprising to me. And after that, Hogan went for the leg drop, covered Orton, and the referee started to count Piper punch Hogan in the face. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So that, yes, that made me laugh too when I saw that. <laughs> it was just something that's, it was an interesting breakup. He just like reaches in and just like, <laughs> right in his face. I am happy when, when the pastor, during the ceremony said, you may, Beverly Hills, you may kiss your bride. I am happy your best man did not come over and just punch you right in the face. And, you know, he's he's a former uh, MMA fighter. He could have knocked me out. <laughs> Legit. I he get, punched I, me out of it done, and you would have had to serve the Mr. T roll. I am happy he did not do that because I don't want your nose to work lo- to look worse than what my nose does. <laughs> As character. It adds character. The ladies are loving your nose. I see him. I hear him talking about it. They said, look at that guy, the usher. He's got the nose. I love it. You know, if obviously for the fans, you don't know what happened. But when this episode drops, it would be about a week and a half ago at work. I was careless and angry. And... God, careless and angry. That's the story. That's your biography title. <laughs> yes, careless and angry, Jack. That is the game plan. <laughs> that will be a subtitle. That is the game plan. <laughs> so I was careless and angry, and I was able to turn boxes because we're is during the, the rush hour of boxes, and so I was uh, put some boxes on the floor, and the boxes a lot lighter than I expected, or I had my adrenaline rump. We're pumping through my veins, the red, white, and blue jack. And the box hit me in the nose. And I was busted wide open, Jack. Oh, man. Now, there was a cut up on my, the bridge of my nose by my eye from my glasses. Blood was pumping from there. Blood was pumping over my right nostril. My, my snot bandana was soaked in blood. Oh, my. Yes. It was light oh, blue and out, like, White blue mixed in with crimson red. Oh my gosh! And, it's like I, but like I said, the ladies are loving it. We got bridesmaids, we got cousins, we got friends. They're all talking about the nose. They want a piece of it. What can I say, Jack? Ladies love L L D D D. The ladies know that they will get something tonight, Jack. They are getting. They're going to get something, Jack. Whoa, whoa, he's going there, folks. And that is the game plan. (laughs) So, Hulk Hogan won my disqualification. Still, your World Wrestling Federation World Heavyweight Champion. Yes. Beverly Hills. I rated this match two stars. Okay, uh, I rated this match right up there. I think star and three quarters is Holy what crap, I... crap, I rated this match higher than you? <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, but I didn't think it was bad. It was it was a, it was a good match. It, it, was, it was fine. It did what it did. Yeah. You're, you're not expecting... You're not going to expect that five-star classic from these two, and they don't, but they delivered on what they needed to. 
it was, you know, get Hogan, present Hogan to the, to the fans as the, you know, the, the champion, um, progress the storyline of he and, uh, Piper, um, Orton didn't look like a slouch, which I appreciated. It was, it was no, you know, squash by any means. Orton had just as many shots. He was setting them up for his finisher. Um, so it was good. I, it was fine. Yes, because I originally was going to rate this, you know, the same thing as you wanted three, four stars, but because of the few moves that Hogan pulled out that, that he isn't known for doing, like the elbow drop, you know, the second rope elbow drop and all that, uh-huh. I had to give this, bump this up to from a one and three, four star up to two stars because of that. I, I can see that. So do you want to tell us what happened after the match? Okay. We have the attempted uh, post-match beatdown from um, the heels, obviously. Uh, they, you know, Hogan is kind of in the corner. Uh, Mr. T comes in, tries to fight them off, but he gets double teamed. Um, and, but he's able to kind of push them off. So it sets up the two on two, but then Orndorff comes down, uh, gets in on the Mr. T side and the heels flee. Yes. Then as I say, I am happy that Mr. Mr. Formed up once again. (laughs) Now, and I was gonna, universe tag team champions, Mr. Mister. I was going to say, if it's going to be a three-man tag team with Mr. Mister and Hulkster, what would the tag team name be? Uh, Mr. Mister-sters? Oh, I think it'd be called uh, Stir-Cubed. Or how about Mr. Mister-Mania? Maybe Shaken, Not Stirred. <laughs> how about Steroids, brother? Oh, my... <laughs> Steroids. That's what it would be called. Mr. Roids. M- M-I-S-T-E-R-oids. Mr. Roids. Or how about brother, brother, brother? <laughs> Whatever. It doesn't matter. We can debate this all night. And Beverly, I don't know. I, I want you to dance with Mrs. Beverly Hills tonight. This, to cover, this debate can wait for later. I'm happy you're starting to dance like I came to Africa Dream, Jack. Because when I went to Africa back in 2008, all the Africans were dancing just like that, Jack. <laughs> and then, yeah, then we go to Mean Jim, who's with the Fabulous Moolah. Oh, God. Fabulous Moolah looked old here. How was she wrestling like 20 years later? She looked awful. I, I, I noted that, too, that holy crap. This is 1985. Fabulous Moolah looked ancient back then. Oh my gosh, I thought she looked like 70 years old. <laughs> oh, woof. Then, yeah, Moolah said that she's tired of the interference of Cindy Lopner. Okay. That I guess Cindy is barred from ringside. <clears throat> I guess me, uh, Gene Mean put over that Moolah was <laughs> champion for 28 years. Yeah, okay. Wowza. <laughs> I believe it because she looks about 228 years old uh, right here. Yes. And we might as well go into the WWF Women's Championship match. The challenger, the fabulous Moolah, versus Wendy Richter, the champion with 
girls wanna, the girls wanna, the girls wanna have fun. Yeah, and that, and that's what they would have come out to. Girls just wanna have fun, but instead it's just like. And instead, even though you can kind of, sorry, you can kind of hear Cindy in the background. Yes. Beverly. What's up? Just to let you know, tonight at the reception, the the girls (laughs) will have fun. Oh my gosh. Dirty dog. You're getting, you're getting too dirty. There you is, better calm it down before the before the dance starts, or I'm gonna just kick you out, man. I don't know what I'm gonna have to do. One, it won't be the first time you kicked me out of something, Jack. <laughs> Two, you cannot kick me off of our podcast because it's both of ours, Daddy O. <laughs> you got it. You and, got it. But I'm gonna have you removed from the American Legion. And three, if the ushers get uh, announced. After we get done with this podcast, after we get done with our pictures, Jack, I hope I get announced as Eric the Dirty Dog Darcy. <laughs> I guess I can make that happen. I. There would be a tear in my eye. <laughs> Beverly, this, that, this night, tonight, would be the greatest night in my life. Just tonight is the greatest night in our business. Tonight is the greatest night in many of the studio history. <laughs> okay, Dirty Doc Shivani. <laughs> okay, yeah, then we might as well get into this match. Yes. Uh, let's see. Yeah, we talked about the overdubbing of the network. This sucks. Yeah. Uh, Howard Finkel tells us that Lopner is barred from Brainside and she has to leave. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You told face, you, you, you talked about the about the Mula interview. Did you notice her scroll? Yes. <laughs> now that makes total sense because Mula, when she was in school in the uh, you know eleven hundreds, that's what they wrote on was scrolls. So it, it made sense that she'd bring the scroll out to ringside. You sure the fabulous Mula did not grow up with Moses? Uh, it's poss- It's surely possible. It, it really is. You know. And she I, liked her glasses, though. Yes. I loved her glasses. I, dollar signs backwards. Yes. It made what? me laugh that the faces threw a temper tantrum when they had when Cindy Lautner had to leave. Yes. But did you notice, okay, I know you don't have the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask all the people. Who is the strange bearded man who is with Wendy Richter and Cindy Lauper. Wasn't that uh, Cindy Lauper's agent or something like that? I don't know, but he was able to stay at ringside, which I thought was weird. Okay, for some reason, I swore I remember hearing an interview somewhere uh, back in the back in time, Jack, that, okay. that I think it was Cindy Lauper's manager or agent or something like that that oh, okay. came down with him. Okay. Anyway, let's see. Uh, Malua had the early advantage doing dirty things. Oh. But before we go more, I will not, and I repeat, I will not do dirty things to Fabulous Mula. Oh. Oh. Let's oh. see. Yeah, Fabulous Mula does dirty things like choking her on the top rope, pulling her hair, and throwing her out of the ring and such. Mula was taunting the crowd on the bottom rope, and Wendy 
came up and drop kicked her and sent her outside the ring. Yes. Did you see McMahon? I hated this match. I, I really did. I don't have many notes because I freaking hated it. Okay. Uh, I guess, I'm surprised I took notes too because I hated this match as well. Let's see. McMahon tells us this may be the... <laughs> you laugh, Beverly. McMahon tells us that this may be the last time Willow gets to win the title back. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure McMahon should get another advantage about a decade and a half from this. Yes, I about think a, she'll be fine. About a decade and a half to go from from now. <laughs> Just saying. Okay, yeah. Mula was going to give Wendy a body slam, and, and Wendy rolled it up with a small package for the win. Yes. Wendy Rickner still our women's champion. Yes. Wendy Richter. Beverly. What's up? I am sure you will agree with me on this rating of this match. Okay, what do you got? Uh, Dave Meltzer's famous <laughs> dud. I'm close. This is a one thirty-fifth of a star. <laughs> I said you did not rate this a dud with me, Jack. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gone dud. I don't remember either. I think there's a chance you may have back first few episodes, but what if? Maybe. This match sucked. Enough said. <laughs> I wrote some more, but I don't want to read it. I'm pissed off. I hate this match. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it. We go back Cindy to... Out, they, Cindy came out and they loved it. Yes. Because girls want to have fun. They just want to... They, they just want to... Anyway, we go backstage with Gene Mean. Oh, one, sorry. I do have to note one. It was funny when Wendy uh, took control of the dropkick to Mula's butt. Yes. Okay, go ahead. She wanted to hit her... I don't know. I was going to make a joke, but I can't think of anything. We go back to Gene Mean with the junk food dog. <laughs> with I his, love junkyard dog. With his mother. What is his mother's name? Is it not Bertha? Bertha Ritter. Bertha Ritter. I smiled when I found out his mother's name is Bertha. It's your girl, man. I love Bertha Ritter. I popped, because if you guys remember for the history of SummerSlam episode when we had Russell Spective's Jason Mann on, how we were talking about Bertha Faye, I <laughs> named my second car Bertha. Yeah, I, I was wondering, did you name it after Bertha Ritter? No, I named her after Bertha Faye. Oh, okay. But I wouldn't be surprised if Bertha Fay was named after Bertha Ritter. <laughs> yeah, there's a good chance. So, there, I got we got the three Bs, Jack. Only yeah. if I can get Bertha Ritter, Bertha Fay, in with into my Bertha. Well, sadly, I think they are all deceased. Yes. <laughs> I can confirm. Know what your call is. I know who Bertha Faye is. I think there's a good chance Bertha Ritter would be too. Yeah, I was to say I can confirm that my car Bertha is dead. It died on me twice. After yes. the second time, like, no more. This is it's but, finished. And, and do you recall who attempted to jump your car when it died one time? Mr. Beverly Hills. <laughs> you got it. Trying to be a good Samaritan uh, did not work. <laughs> my car wouldn't start either because it's so cold. I remember the one time I came, I think it was on a Sunday, I came, I think it was after church or something like that, that I was going to go park my car back down like a mile away from our dorms, and I, before I did, I had to come up to your room. Do you remember how I looked, Beverly Hills? 
You you look cold. You had icicles in your facial hair. Okay, well, this was a different time. I was I'm talking oh. about. I was oh, all oh, dressed up, and you were surprised. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about the time you wanted your car jumped. No, I was. I think I called you for that time. Oh, okay. Yeah. But anyway, that's... anyway, I was dress shoes, dress clothes, everything. I was decked out, and you were surprised that the dirty dog looked so good, so fine. <laughs> And all these years later, Beverly, look at me now. Woo! <laughs> I look beautiful in the tuxedo, Jack. You got it, man. You got it. So we may as well go talk about this interview. The JYD said something I do not understand, and Mama JYD did say she's proud of her son. And, you know, I don't know if it's legit or not, but she she looked super proud. If she was acting, she did a good job, but I don't know. She looked like she was having a really good time and that she, you know, was legitimately proud of her son. And I know for a fact that Mama Darcy is proud of you, Mr. Hills, especially on your wedding day. That's why she had to be my guest for tonight. I hope that Mama D and Mama Beverly Hills get together and, and chat during the dance. I am sure Mama D and Mama H will. (laughs) <laughs> Mother Hills, she will be a, a friend. She's a friend to all, but she will certainly be a friend to Mama D. And I I am sure, I I know for a fact that Mama D and Mama H are proud of their son's host of this podcast. Aww. Good good stuff. Okay, so let's get to this match. Yes. Too much mush. Let's, go, let's get into this main event match. This match, I felt like, was just as crappy as the match before. <laughs> oh, no! I love this match! Fine, I, was, I, I was bored with this match, Beverly. But I was halfway entertained by Pete Doherty, or Doherty, whatever his name is. The Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty! Give us your thoughts on this Duke. He is one of the most famous jobbers of all time. He's... Got this long blonde hair. Uh, he looks just—he's not in shape, but he was on all these shows, getting his butt whipped, and here he's doing his job. And I love it, love it, love it. As he goes to the outside, JYD pulls his hair, and he responds by going, "Ah!" That made me laugh. I also wanted to ask you about. The thought, your thoughts on the song that JYD and Mama Bertha came out to? Well, this is another dub. They they initially would have came out to boom boom boom, boom 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 boom, boom 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 boom, boom 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 boom. But this is a successful one because I am also a fan of G R A P T H E M K A C K S. Grab them kicks. Oh, what do you do? Grab them kicks. Oh, I don't care what it takes. Grab them kicks. <laughs> I love it. And I love when he does, I love that chomping thing he does after he punched and he threw Pete Doherty out to the outside. Yes. What's your thoughts on Dodery trying to uh, trash talk Mama Dog? It has no effect. Just like his punches have no effect. Yes. 
Let's see. Uh, yeah, like you said, that uh, when uh, the Duke went outside, he got his hair pulled from the dog, make him <laughs> out to be a foo. Yep. And JYD went for his dog headbutts. Yes. Oh, that's what it's... Okay, my notes just say headsets, and I was really wondering what I wrote, why I wrote headsets. Turns out it just auto-corrected headbutts into headsets. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> I was like, headsets? What does that even mean? Yeah, he did the, he did the headbutts where he's on the ground. Yeah, then for some reason, when getting back to the ring, Pete uh, climbed up to the top rope to taunt the crowd, and the dog threw him off the top rope. Yeah, but he got the power slam for the one, two, three. Yes. So the winner is the junk food dog and his mother dog. So, and then he gets her in the ring, and they're like, oh, is she going to dance? Is she going to dance? And she does it. She kicks. Does little Oh, I loved it. She grabbed them kicks. Bertha Ritter. Just like the ladies love you, dirty dog. What can I say, Jack? All right, so what'd you rate this one? A dud. Okay, I rated a half a star for the match, but five stars for Bertha Ritter and JYD dancing. Yes. Especially when she dances, she totally does the stank face. She's like, oh. Uh, yes. Love dancing with the stank face. You're going to see some of that tonight. Good, I'm happy. I'm happy about that. <laughs> So yeah, then and then we go to a commercial break and we come back with Gene Mean and a bunch of wrestlers backstage. Cause I guess, yeah, this party is one of the worst decorated parties ever. It's a table and like three balloons. Yeah, then we Sidney Lopner wanted to do a Mother's Day celebration. And I found it odd that everybody was pretty you know, stand up in a line. Or yes, was in a line. Yes. That's the weird part. They're all standing in a line. Now Shiki Baby calls uh Gene Gene Mean. Yeah. And which which is why I'm calling Gene Mean Gene Mean. Right, right. And, and yeah, then Bl- he's, mad. he's mad because his they they sent the invitation to his mom, but it was too late that she couldn't get a flight. Oh. And Volkov is mad because they didn't even invite his mom at all. I, to or me, did that get backwards? To me, or something like that. The WWF tag titles looked like the gold dome belt that, that was the NWA title belt for a while, like a, a knock knockoff version of it. Yeah, a little bit. Then we go to Blassie kissing a woman and claimed it was his mother. That was funny. Who looked like a third his age. Albano, Albano refuted that. Yes. Start his mother. Then uh, we, we go to Hogan with his mother, who yeah. had a bunch she of roses. Nice. Yes. I thought she looked cute. I hope you give Sorry, your mother a... Nice. I hope you give your mother and and uh, Mrs. Beverly Hills' mother a bunch of roses tonight, Beverly. I don't think we're giving you a bunch of roses. They should already have a flower, though. Good. I'm happy. I'm happy you gave them a flower. <laughs> yep. Then they go to go to Cindy Lopper's mom, and did, I don't know. Maybe I heard it wrong, but it seemed like Cindy's mom insinuated that either this was the very first Mother's Day ever, or that Cindy Lopper invented it. Yes. She's like, "Oh, this is a great day. I'm so glad that Cindy made it up." I'm like, "What? Mother's Day was around for a long time. It's I'll, not the first one." Unless she's happy that, C- that Cindy Lauper came up with this party. <laughs> yes. Let's see. Then, uh, yeah, Cindy. Yeah, yeah. See, they, they were by a cake, and fabulous Moolah came in, got in the face of Cindy and her mother. Moolah was dressed like the Tin Man. Yes. 
Then Moolah and called, and interestingly enough, she kept calling Cindy a scarecrow. Yes. <laughs> and the scarecrow pushed her and Jean Mean into the cake. Yes. Yep. And then Cindy threw the whole cake on the Moolah's head. Yes. Like you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Jack, I loved Jesse Ventura's pink suit. <laughs> it was good stuff. I am sad that you did not have the ushers wear a tie-dye pink suit like that for <laughs> for the wedding tonight, Beverly. It was the second choice. I mean, we were we were really close between pink tie-dye versus gray, and we're just like, oh, God, gray just won out. It was so close. When, if and when the day comes when the dirty dog gets married, Jack, if I remember, I will make sure you and I are in pink tie-dye suits. You got it, brother. And everybody else can wear whatever suit whatever. they want to. <laughs> but it cannot be pink tie-dye like you and I, Jack. <laughs> you got it, man. Then, yeah, you know, Ventura McMahon were talking about, you know, the card and what they saw, and I loved how Ventura mentioned that Hogan broke every rule of the book. Yeah. Then we go to another commercial, and then we come back and Vince... Or he also calls Mr. Wonderful Mr. Blunderful. Yes. And we go for another commercial, come back. Vince said that he had a good time, and he closed the show. <laughs> yes. So we might as well go to the jobber and the main event star of the night. Okay. My jobber has to be that fabulous Moolah. <laughs> That's a good choice. She's pretty bad. Her, She's my jobber because her match and her skit backstage was Dave Meltzer's famous stud. It was horrible. Double dud. Yes. My jobber is the person who dubbed out all the good music on this episode. Yes, that is sad. All the good stuff is gone, music-wise. Breaks my heart. Yep. Break my heart. My main event status star. We got? The former mayor, the former governor, (laughs) and quite possibly our next president in the United States. Okay, okay. Jesse, the podcast host, Ventura. He was good. He was good. His, he, he made, well, especially for me, the last two matches, which was hard for me to get through, he made them bearable by just hearing his gravelly voice and all that. <laughs> okay. My MVP is... The junkyard mother, Bertha Ritter. That's a good choice. Love Bertha. Yes. Then we must go to the top five uh, list for the net, for the podcast. And since we uh, since you spoiled it, that yes, I picked out uh, picked out this episode for episode eleven. Yeah. We, we picked. I guess I picked. You confirmed the top five Hulk Hogan opponents for this podcast. I will start with my number five. Do it. My number five, Beverly, for the top Hulk Hogan opponents has to be World Championship Wrestling. Oh, okay. You're going esoterical at these. Yes. Just because when Hogan was the leader of the new, 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 new world order, (laughs) that WCW was technically his number one opponent (laughs) and all that. So for my number five for the top Hulk Hogan opponents has to be WCW. Good choice. Good choice. I went with all people on this one, so my number five, um, you know, really the, the, the match that 
extended his career really the last few years there. Uh, it's all kind of riding in the coattails of his match with The Rock. So I'm going to put The Rock as, at number five. Um, just just because, you know, that I think the reason why he had that last couple-year run, especially as a uh, good guy there, was because of The Rock. So that's my number five. That's a good choice. My Thank number you. four we saw on this very episode. Okay. My number four is the hot rod himself, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Nice, good choice. He just missed out on mine. Yes, I had to mention Piper because I felt like he was a perfect opponent for Hogan back in the 80s. Piper can work, Piper can talk, Piper was the perfect heel for the perfect face in Hulk Hogan. Sure. Who's your number four? Okay, my number four... Um, one of the most unexpected great matches of of Hulk Hogan's career, kind of the one where you think this opponent would have taken over to pass the torch literally from uh, Hogan. That's the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, you know, it was it was set up that he was the ultimate opponent for Hogan, um, that he was going to be the guy to be the next Hogan. So at the time, probably his number one opponent. But yeah, four four for me. You might like my number three choice, Beverly. Hey, what you got? Oh, I had to say for my number three is, ooh, yeah. <laughs> nice. I felt like Macho Man, the late great Macho Man, Randy Savage, was the perfect feud for Hogan from leading from the 80s into the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, with them pairing up with the ultimate handshake at WrestleMania 4... <laughs> Being the mega powers and the mega powers exploding at WrestleMania Five, Jack was per- was a perfect year long feud. Yes, and that is also my number three, uh, Randy Savage. I th- the same reasons I thought it it was a great feud. Um, he was the perfect one to match up with him uh, as a team, and then the eventual turn on him. I thought it it went it went great. Um, yeah, that's that's my number three, Beverly. Okay. I hope you will never tell me that you see the lust in my eyes. <laughs> I hope dude, I hope so too, because that means you'd be lusting after Mrs. Hills, and you get one of these right in your kisser. Just go a tad bit north, homie. You know my nose is my weak spot. And, and I was telling my coworkers the two days after I hurt my nose, because they were giving me craps and it, yeah, 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 dirty dog, watch your nose. And they, they act like they're going to punch me in the nose. I tell them, just go for the nose, send me home early, I don't care. <laughs> so that's all I say, Beverly, is if you see any lust in my eyes tonight at the dance, just go for the nose. All right, will do, will do. And then go apologize to Mama Darcy and things will be fine. <laughs> my number two is the eighth wonder of the world. Okay. Andre the Giant. Because I feel like, you know, the match at WrestleMania 3 in their Saturday Night's Main Event match that Eric Gargiul and I talked about in the interview that, you know, we added in with this podcast, I feel like, and- you know, you know I-, I feel like Andre was probably one of the most memorable matches and feuds of Hulk Hogan's career. Yep. Yep, I agree. I agree. Uh, my number two, you know, when when Hogan was kind of pooping out some poopers in WCW, uh, one of the few people that could get 
Uh, some enjoyable matches out of him as my number two is Ric Flair. Uh, yeah, I th- I thought he was was able to, you know, carry the matches that they had in that '95 uh, time frame there. Um, yeah, that's that's my choice. I just think as as Hogan was clearly kind of mailing it in in that time period, Flair was able to get some manageable stuff out of him. I echo what you said for your number two for my number one. Cool. Because Ric Flair is my number one. Nice. And to add with that. You know, you know, during the 80s and you know, all that, I remember, you know, hearing guys from, like, the Old School Wrestling Podcast with Dre and the Black Cat and magazines and other podcasts that the dream match of the 80s was NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair versus the WWF World Champion Hulk Hogan. Right, always. And, you know, we there's rumors that that was, match was going to happen at WrestleMania 7 or, and all that, and that never happened, and... Whatever, that's a debate that I feel like will never end, and we don't need to debate that here on this podcast. Sure. But I do want to ask you about Beverly. Since, you know, last episode we we watched, you know, we, we covered a NWA world title match with Ric Flair's champion, and this episode we covered a WWF title match with Hogan. What's your thoughts yeah. on if those two would have had, let's say, this is on quotations, a title-for-title title match okay. back in the 80s? Um, what it like? What what it would have looked like, or what? How do you how would the ratings have been if those two would have had a, a quote unquote title for title match? Oh, it would have been enormous. It would have been huge. Uh, definitely would have been probably the biggest uh, biggest thing to date. Because I'm sure you know the match would either I can't see it going to a you know going Broadway. I I can see you know the match ending with Flair somehow cheating in front of the referee to. And the match, but yeah, I feel like that match would have been just as huge as the Andre Hogan match. Right. I would agree with you. So who's your number one, Beverly? Um, well, it's funny, we have the same top three. We switched one and two. My number one's Andre the Giant. I think he's uh you know, one of the few uh one of the few people who can match um star power, match real power with Hogan present uh, a real threat to him uh, because even when Hogan faces these huge guys, he always, you know, comes out on, on top. I think Andre is one of the few guys who actually uh, can, can present one of those physical, um, have a physical advantage over him. So yeah, that's my number one. And, and uh, again, it's crazy that those matches were passable. So I guess they were. So I guess this is the end of the end of the podcast, and I wanted to get your thoughts on what what we what we watched as a whole. Just overall, I mean, it was it was good overall. It's a it's a very good snapshot of nineteen eighty five. Really, what nineteen eighty five is all about. It's all about these huge personalities, um, about the celebrity connection um, that that's going on at the time. It, and it, it was it was good stuff. It played directly to their audience, which is you know young people uh, for the most part. So yeah, I liked it. What's your What's your thoughts on WWF matches back in the eighties being five minutes or less? Well, you know that's well that's the WWF style. You know we saw last week that it's not going to be the same uh, over in the NWA. But um, again, this is this is what. The, the fans that that uh, the WWF was uh, catering toward wanted to see. 
they just they just wanted to see those uh the big personalities so yeah makes sense and beverly you know just because we're doing a month of first and what tell us the listeners if they want to follow with us what will we be reviewing next week okay next week uh broadcasting live from the the day after me coming back from my honeymoon is going to be uh the very first Monday Night Raw from 1993. I like that idea. You got it, I, brother. I am excited to review Monday Night Raw episode one next week. Then obviously the following week we'll be covering the first WWF SmackDown. And you and I talked about this between last week's episode and this week. We will be continuing the month of first after the first SmackDown in two episodes. What will, what will we what will we cover, Beverly? You guys got to wait and see because we will. <laughs> we talked about this. We'll talk about this off air. We will not spoil it. You guys got to wait. Oh, I'm up in that my seat. So, you know, episode 12 would be WWF Raw, episode 1. Yep. Episode 13 would be WWF SmackDown, episode 1. Episode 14, I guess you just guys got to wait till when episode 14 gets released. So we, we might as well go into the plugs. I mentioned last week on the episode, and I'll mention this again, when this podcast drops, it'll be right on the time the episode will drop of me being a guest on What a Maneuver. Awesome. We, we we talked about WWF in your house degeneration X. Okay. I will plug it on our Facebook page. I'll plug it on Twitter, and I'll plug it in future episodes about the podcast when it drops and all that. Nice. So, I'll see you know, fans like us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash main event status radio. That's all one word. Facebook.com slash main event status radio. Beverly, how can they follow you on Twitter? At Beverly Hills M E S. For me, it's the dirt. It's Dirty Dog M E S. Dog as in D A W G. Dirty Dog M E S. You can listen to us on our website, maineventstatus.com. That's maineventstatus.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes. You know, you can find us on the thing, doing your thing, typing in our title, Main Event Status Radio. Twitter thing on the internet thing, yeah. Rate us, review us, and help us move up the, the climb the ladder on iTunes, Jack. The algorithm thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That because I want to beat Jim Ross's Ross report sometimes. Yeah, I do too. Because I don't think because Ross is an idiot these days. Yeah. Beverly, def- everything's MMA. Wants to see people bleed and break their hands. Yeah. Beverly, you would like this. Okay. On what a maneuver that I listened to last night at work. Oh, two nights ago, I believe. All within the last few nights. What a maneuver does not like the Ross report. Oh, yeah. They agree with they agree with you, Beverly. I agree, man. I agree. The Ross report is getting too much, and I'm getting to that point too. (laughs) Anyway, let's quit bashing podcast. But (laughs) Beverly. Let's call this quits. Let's get ready to go to the reception. Let's, Let's go get dance, ready to da- dance the night away. Woo! Just because I have to. For Beverly Hills, 
I am the dirty dog. And yes, the freaks are coming out at night.